The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome back. You know, I had a little hiatus last week, and I just want to commend Jess on holding down the fort by herself. In fact, I thought she did such a good job that maybe I didn't have to come this week. We discussed that we'll still be coming together yeah. for yeah. a while. No, but but he job. owes me a solo if I need one, so this is great. Look, honey, I put the doggy boot camp thing on the front. Oh, Isn't very that cool. cool. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, so we're going to talk about boarding and training your dog, the potential pitfalls, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. Uh, and also, been... if you're out there offering this service, we are going to like lay it all out there for you with what we do, our best practices. If we're you're a newer, try to help you. newer dog trainer, you're doing boarding and training. Uh, we've been doing it now for 20 years. So yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of, um, you know, you learn a lot and we're still learning mm-hmm. still to this day, learning new things, dealing with new problems and so it's a and trying to keep ourselves sane in the process. It's quite a world. Yeah. But before we get into that, we're going to start with our quirky tip of the day. <laughs> All right, this is a special and, one, uh, to Scott. It was my dog Jimmy's tenth birthday, and uh, this is something I had seen on J and J Dog. Um, we had an actual website. catalog. No, we had an actual catalog. Oh, you they like sent te- us a website. Doggy uh, eared the page, so I ordered. Yeah, it they for sent the catalog, birthday. and this is a. And I had been talking about this. We have some non non tip dog bowls, but they're plastic. No spill, I think. And the, yeah, no spill dog bowls. And I said, Bob, well, it'd be great to have one of these in metal, you know, something a little more durable. And then I just was thumbing through their magazine and this thing popped up. So, and there I it was is right in the forefront. I was even going to um, make a hook for it because I wanted it in the front seat of the car. When, I, when Jimmy's in the front seat, if I leave water on the floor, he doesn't drink it. I don't know. He doesn't see it. I don't know why, but he just doesn't go down and drink any water. So, I would pick the water bowl up, give him some water, <laughs> put it back on the floor. So like now, every five minutes. <laughs> well, if I remembered. Now, I have this thing hanging on the door. When you close the door, it's right by his seat. It doesn't spill. It doesn't slosh around and, and have water going all over the place. And if he doesn't drink any water, then that's just too bad for him. The water's right in his face. I don't feel bad about but it. But Scott's very excited and, about um, his new water bowl. Well, you know, it's important when you have a dog in the car... You know, you got to be very conscious of the heat. We've had some, I've even not even taken him with me for a few weeks when we had those 95 degree days. Yeah, Ryobi fan only goes so far. <laughs> yeah, but if it's a, you know, moderate climate, uh, you know, 70s, um, he's with me. We go to do uh, in-home classes and I may leave him in the car with the windows, you know, half open, but I want to make sure he has access to water and that he's not going to get too warm in there, you know? So, yeah. so I feel a little better when I leave him and... If he doesn't drink the water, then it's his problem. Yeah, but it was his birthday present. It came a few days after his birthday. And I think it's like the very cage bowl if you look in the J&J um, magazine. But we got it. We like it. And if it is really, really full, some water will slosh out. But so far, so good. All right, board and trains. Let's talk it up. Well, you know, I thought, wow, this is a great way to make a living. This is <laughs> I back, <thought. laughs> back in the early 2000s when I wanted to be a dog trainer so that I could train my dog when I wanted to in the middle of the day. At that point, I was a roofing contractor. And so I started the dog training in conjunction with the roofing company. And I did both businesses for a few years to make sure the dog training was going to be able to, 
pay the bills. I had a mortgage and a family and three young kids and all that stuff. And he lived in California, which is not California, a cheap state to live in. California, it's an expensive state to live in. And the boarding and training was a way to get some good chunks of money in to pay all these bills. I mean, if you're doing you know group classes for a hundred bucks a piece and getting six or eight people in there, it's not enough money to pay your bills. I mean, you got to have a lot of classes going, you know. And I did have that kind of stuff going too. But the boarding and training was a way to get you know good chunks of money and and help people out. I mean, well, it, it well, has the, been a service that from the business side, it was yeah. a good way to get in some good money. Uh, from the training side, it was a great way to get training into a dog. So that then we could catch the owners up with the training because then they, it's, you know, it's one of the very few businesses where you're trying to teach a person who's not a dog trainer how to train their dog in an hour and then say, see you next week. And that all sounds great, but there's no other industry like that. It's not like, you know, I've heard, you know, the analogy of a plumber isn't going to come to your house, give you a wrench and say, bend over, get under the sink there, loosen up that pipe, do this, do that. And then I'll come back next week and see if the flooding has stopped. You know, it's not like that. But in dog training, that's kind of the way this this industry developed, I guess, 75 years ago, whenever they started doing dog training and group classes and things like that. So there are some people that have a natural ability to pick up on uh, the training when you're telling them to do this or that. And, and I say that because we just had a woman, uh, we did a board and train with a German Shepherd. We returned the dog last week. And I'm coaching her. She's, She's never walk- owned a dog before this Yeah, time. never had a dog before. And I'm coaching her, you know, to do healing. She's going down the street. I said, take a left turn, pop the leash behind your back. And she's doing everything. The like, mechanics, we, we were literally like, and, uh, you are amazing. Your mechanics are perfect. The dog is working great with her. She's following direction very well. And it all went very smooth. But that's not typical. Usually, it takes time for people to learn. You're, you're telling them three different things to do. They're forgetting the first thing you told them. Things go quickly that depending on what the dog does will change what you have to do to counter what the dog is doing. So there's a lot going on there and, um, and it all is happening in real time, yeah. you know, and for that reason, quite often, you know, Jess has mentioned it before, I'll be the dog. I'll leave the dog in the car or tell them, leave the dog in the house. They'll have the leash and I'll be holding the end of the leash with the bolt snap on it so that they can get their mechanics a little bit more get a little more comfortable with these mechanics before yeah. we even get the dog and out I there. And I would say a boot camp dog is going to just be um, more well-suited for a class with the owner anyway, right? Like, it's going to have the repetitions with us. It may not look the exact same way as Scott holding the leash or me holding the leash or a handler holding the leash, but the dog has gotten, you know, a lot of repetitions of going through the motions, all of these different behaviors and all this stuff. So if you are just doing classes, there may be more mechanical fallout because even if your mechanics aren't perfect, normally after a board and train, the dog is more dialed in and understands its purpose more, I would say. Yeah. And the other thing about just doing classes, um, I always encourage everybody to video me with their phone. I'm showing them what I, what I want them to do. And then I say, feel free to video me so that you can look at this tomorrow. And I'll tell you, eight out of 10 people, they just never do it. Like they just say, okay, thanks, but they don't do it. And then the other people that do do it never look at their phone again. They never look at the video <laughs> yeah. they actually took, yeah. you know? Uh, and uh, that's just the reality. That's just the reality of, of what it's like out there with people. But the difference is when we talk about repetitions in relation to the length of boarding and training. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started, I was doing a 10-day board and train program because that's what other people were doing in the industry that were doing boarding and training. And I didn't know, you know how much time I would need. I watched other people doing it. And the 10 days, they were able to get a lot done in 10 days. 
So I did 10 days. And uh, then I expanded that to 14 days because I never got a day off. Like 10 days in my mind was a bare minimum amount of time to get the amount of training into the dog that I felt was adequate and a fair exchange for services and, and all that stuff. So if I did, you know, a 14 day, I can take a, a day off, you know, a couple times while I have that dog with me instead of having to, like, I got to work this. And then when you get multiple dogs in, you never get a day off. If yeah. you're working in a real tight timeline to get, you know, a certain amount of training into a dog, if you don't have other employees, which I didn't, you're just working every day. Yeah. And now you're going to get burnt out, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the difference that I really want to kind of highlight here today is that when Scott says, like, I have been doing boot camps for 20 years, he personally has. And he has sold every single one of those deals. He has worked with every single one of those dogs. And he has done every single one of those returns. I've been doing board and trains for over around 11 years, I guess, with him out in New England. I've been a part of that. I may have done a return or two alone, depending on what's going on with our lives. If he was dealing with his ailing mother or I don't know, maybe, maybe he ate a disc or something. Maybe yeah. two or three. Yeah. He was in the hospital because he hurt and hurt his back. Who knows? Scott's a lot to deal with, but like the, the business itself, what we're dealing with, what we're doing, it is incredibly mm. hands-on with Scott and myself. And we are working with these dogs. We have had two different employees over our stretch being out here. Scott had a couple of employees out in California. One person really just drove the RV around then, like parked at places, got exposure for people. It was an RV with advertisements on it, maybe with like rotate dogs or something. And then his other trainer was Adrian. We've had him on the podcast with his wife, Laura. He trained alongside Scott, but Scott was still doing the returns himself, working with these dogs personally. It's not like Adrian had a dog for two weeks and said, oh, Scott, this is what it looks like. Like, you know, he's a little bit slow on the sit here. Just be mindful of that on the return. Scott has been in that. When we've been here, we've had two different girls that have worked with us for different stints, probably no more than two years each time. And we're talking very temporary. One girl was a Friday to Sunday girl, and I was the girl the rest of the days. And then another employee we had worked like Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to noon. So we are really like telling you, imparting this wisdom to you from a place of experience. Like we are still doing this. We have been doing this. And we have learned a lot over the years. Scott talks about these classes and how difficult classes can be. The amount of programs that do, uh, here's your dog and here's a class and have good life. It shocks us. And I'm not trying to judge anyone else's program. If that model is working for you, great. But all of our people get four classes. It's the return, which is a class, and then three more classes with Scott. All of those classes now, because we don't have a facility, are at their house. So Scott's actually setting things up in their home, working the scenarios of the dog coming to the door, like doing real life stuff, going to the park down the street where the dog always gets reactive if there's kids out on the playground. Like we are in the thick of it doing that. And to be frank, people normally don't even finish their four classes and they're thrilled. I would say by the third class or so with a boot camp, they're like, hey, things are going great. And if they need us, they can always reach out. But overall, they don't even utilize all four of those classes because they're so happy with the product, typically. Yeah. No, in the beginning, I, I was following the sit me and sit model. Uh, I knew Fred Hassan. I knew what he was doing. And he was very generous with his knowledge. And he's always been a very helpful person. Uh, if you ask him anything, he was always there to share what he's learned and what he's doing. But he was doing um, the board and trains and... Um, and then free group classes for like forever. Yeah, and you like did that's that. What had going you on. did that in California, right? Yeah, I did that for only uh, maybe two years. And um, the problem with that was that people would turn that into a social 
uh, or like Saturday Scott morning. Scott doesn't like everybody's when everybody's just having coffee and donuts. He well, wants to work. Well, that's the point. It's a class. It's not a place where you meet up with your latte and shoot the crap with other dog owners <laughs> and barely even participate, you know? And the thing is, what I didn't like about that is if you ever discontinued it, and when I moved from California, I did. I had to tell them, hey, I'm moving, I'm closing. They're like, well, we paid for group classes for life. And I'm like, yeah, but uh, I'm leaving the you state. Can, you can you've move been, to Mass You've been with coming me. for two years. <laughs> Every week for two years, your dogs are well-trained, but I'm sorry I'm leaving. And there's always going to be this feeling uh, on the client end that they, they're losing something they were you entitled to. You didn't have to. a lot of that, though, when you left. There oh, wasn't was, a lot of was just a few. The thing that was interesting <clears> to me, and that is a great model in that setup, we don't do the freight group class anymore, but, I mean, Scott's got tons of video of 15 dogs, 20 25 dogs, dogs, 25 yeah. dogs, 30 dogs, all with their owners, like, literally walking the streets of, like, L.A. Like, they're out and about, like, in Pasadena, like, at these parks, all working, all doing stays, all on beds, all happy, all taking treats. And I think that's an important point that I want to make before we go to break is that dogs, even when Scott started this in California, weren't as difficult as they are now. And I'm not trying to be harsh on dogs or harsh on owners or anything else. But well, you're underestimating the quality of my training. <laughs> it's, it's harder <laughs> than it used to be. We both yeah. say that. And now... We offer a two-week or a three-week or a four-week. Like, the 10-day thing is not an option because we need all of two weeks with certain dogs to make it through and get progress and show people a result that we're proud of and happy with. All right, we're going to go to break, and when we get back, we're going to unload as many more tips as we can to help you guys through all of this. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to The Madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. All right, we're back. Okay, so one thing I want to discuss is just some of the general process because... If you're a trainer that's thinking of offering the service, or maybe you've been offering the service for a decade, but you're just totally burnt on it, maybe we can spice things up with how the process looks. So Scott always says on this podcast, and he's very upfront in life, that he would rather not sell a person if they're not the right fit. You're very conscious of how you're doing the pre-sale and what we offer, and you're very upfront. Well, we have to be on the same page. It's yeah. not just collecting credit cards and yes. cashing checks. You know, if they're not, if their head isn't in alignment with what and you're not clear about what you can get accomplished, what you can offer, get their expectations in alignment with you know, what they should expect on the other end. You're just setting yourself up for some people that are not happy. And, and just uh, more stress on, your, yeah. on yourself, on the animal, on the owner. So Scott is the first one to make sure that the person is a good fit. Sometimes we'll even do, if he's only met one of the spouses and they want to do a board and train, then we'll do like a conference call, the spouse that he met, him, me and their other spouse, like on the phone, make sure we're all on the same page. Cause it's very important to us. We're bringing this dog into our lives. We're taking responsibility for this dog. And we also have lives, right? Like Scott's dad is 86 years old. We may have to go down and deal with something with him. Scott has kids. I have friends. We have our own dogs. Like there's things that could happen in our lives that we still have to attend to our own lives just because we have these other dogs. So we're very conscious that if we're going to work with you, we're all on the same page and we all understand the process. I'm going to say right now, and not everyone is going to agree with this, if someone wants to know where you're housing the dog or they want to see it or something else, I truly feel like they should be able to. Now, I'm not saying that that means you should be opening your door and everyone should be trancing through your, traipsing through, traipsing through, 
traipsing through your kennel and stressing all those other dogs out. However, there should be able to be a system where you can be FaceTiming with that person and walking around. We used to not allow people to walk into our dog room anymore before we left our facility, but we are more than happy to say, come on down, the, you know, look inside the room. This is what it looks like. There's an air conditioner. There's music going on. You can see all the dogs. If there is this policy of like, no, you can't see, no, you can't come to our home, no, you can't know where your dogs are housed, that is a red flag to me. We have zero issue at any point, no matter what our setups have been over the years, and we have had very different setups. If you want to see where your dog's going to be, of course, I I would want to see where my dog's going to be. I'm totally okay with that. I understand that. I accept that. Contact. I want to talk about contact because this is something that people set up differently, and I'm just going to give you our best practices for this. So when we were in Salisbury three years ago, I did all the communication with clients. I was the main text communication. I communicated with the classes, with the boot camps, everything else. My go-to is I'm going to send a photo or a video or I'm going to give an update before they're going to have to ask. So that doesn't mean I'm texting them five times a day about their dog, but I definitely let them know the first night, hey, the dog's looking good. The dog's settled in. Quite frequently, we'd put a dog on the treadmill one of the first two sessions, like the first day or the next day. Here's the first treadmill session, like hitting the gym early. Like we're, we're just making them feel good about everything right from the get-go. If they ask about their dog, of course we're following up, but why wait until they say, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? Scott's very clear when he sells, we're not going to be given 24 hour phone support here. Like if you're missing your dog, you know, every two hours, this might not be the fit for you. Some people do a situation where it's like, you'll get a video on the third day. You'll get a video on the sixth day. You'll get a video on the 10th day. And if that's your setup and that works for you, that's fine. However, if something happened on the third day and they don't get the video, then these clients are like, oh my God, is everything okay? Like it was the third day. I've been waiting for this video. I don't know what happened. So my rule of thumb is get some photos, get some good video, get the dogs out and about. Half the time, the dogs are just like hanging out with us on the couch because we want them to go home and exist as good pets and everything else. It doesn't have to be that they're doing a 15 minute downstay. They don't care. They want to see their dogs well. They want to see their dogs happy. They want to see their dogs okay. Before the dogs go home, you need to give these dogs a bath. You need to cut their nails. I am sorry if you are charging under two grand for two weeks or more in this country, I am pretty sure I can promise you can raise your prices, even if you're in a place that doesn't have a lot of money and a lot of income. Board and trains are an expensive service. With that service, you should be handling the dog. This is part of the fallout a lot of these dogs are handling, having. The vet can't cut the nails. The owner can't cut the nails. The groomer can't cut the nails. Their coats need attention. They need to get their teeth looked at. They may have an ear infection that's coming up. Like they need to know to be handled. So if the dog has aggression issues, that's fine. Put a basket muzzle on them. But every single boot camp dog we have had in gets a bath, gets their nails done. That's just our procedure. Yeah, it's just part of handling. And um And the and the dog looks great then when they get to see the owners. And frankly, you guys all day long can say, I'm not a groomer, everything else. If you get a new fee that really needs to be done, charge that client a thousand dollars more. I really don't care. Align with a groomer that can help you, but you should be sending these dogs home like they were able to go to a groomer, able to go to a vet, and they're clean and they're happy. That's just how I feel. Well, the whole point I think is if they are very difficult in being grooming in being groomed. You know, we're the trainers, so we have to help work them through these issues. Uh, groomers. That's not uh, their job. It, it really isn't their job. And they're and so busy. And it's not busy. the vet's job or the vet tech's job yeah. either. They're so overworked that they can be very selective and say, listen, your dog's a pain in the ass. I can't take him here anymore. And that's it. Now you got no groomer. 
and the dog suffers because it's a health issue. You can't have mats and all kinds of stuff yeah, all over this the dog. Yeah, and this is why these owners are coming to you guys, right? Like, they're, they're literally saying, like, I'm having trouble with my dog behaviorally. I'm not able to, you know, give my dog the care that it needs from a brushing perspective or a bathing perspective or he's aggressive with the dryer or he hates his nails being done. That's where you come in as help. So be conscious of that. One, um, go ahead. I just want to say, uh, as with regard to the grooming, I've had clients come to me, more than one, that said that the other trainer they went to before they met with me, that trainer's dog had mud packed on. It was dirty. And they were put off that the trainer's dog wasn't even clean. So I'm not saying that's a general, you know, uh, thing with dog trainers. But make sure, you, you know, if you're going to use your dog as a demo dog or bring your dog out as a distraction for their dog in a class, make sure your dog is squared away too and yeah. your dog looks good. These you know? are basic things, just like humans. You want to look functional and everything else, like look functional. One thing I said um, was, what should a dog owner first look for if they're looking for this service? Like, what should they consider first? And um, Scott and I debriefed on this beforehand. My answer would be reviews. Like, I don't care how great their website looks. I don't care how amazing their facility looks. I don't care anything. You should be able to go and find reviews on Google or on Facebook. Yelp is kind of just a piece of crap now. I mean, I'm not judging Yelp. Our reviews are fine on Yelp. It sounds but, like you are. Well, Yelp, well, I, I'm, I'm judging the format in that if you pay for Yelp, then they boost your reviews and everything else. I mean, Yelp is already kind of leaving and Angie's list has become Angie and everything else. But you know, you have Google, you have Facebook, people talk, there's community forums, everything else. I said to Scott, even today, the very first dog he ever did was a lab out in California, freaking workhorse lab, like, you know, bringing the biggest complaint he said it before in the podcast was if they had people over and they're having a fire, this lab would just bring somebody sticks all night, like just bringing sticks in the fire, total pain in the ass, like great working dog. That client was so happy with Scott's services that if the second person that wanted to do a boot camp with him said, hey, do you have any references? We would say, yeah. And he would have given the name of the very first boot camp client he ever had with the lab who was thrilled to the client. People, if they ask us, hey, can we talk to people? Yeah. You want to talk to people in your community that have worked with us? Like we, there are different ways to get references and it's not bullshit references that we're having these people call, you know, Scott's siblings or something. <laughs> like these are real clients. They wouldn't real give me a good reference. <laughs> they, it's not that they wouldn't give you a good <laughs> reference, but it'd be pretty obvious that they didn't know what they were doing, talking about dog wise. So my first thing would be reviews and references, hands down. These are my animals that I'm trusting someone else to watch. And I want to know that other people have worked with these people and they feel good. And of course, they've got initial gut instinct. Like, and, and that goes into, if you're just talking to somebody on the phone, you were saying that you would want somebody to work with the dog. Like you would first definitely see someone in person and you would want to see that trainer handling the dog. I would like to see how they um, relate to my dog, how my dog relates to them. And, uh, and that they, they can do something. Yeah, they, they have, they're, they're able to have enough skills to move my dog around and maybe even get it to do a few things it hasn't done in the past uh, in a, with some finesse and not just kind of bullying my dog around and all that stuff. And it's just kind of showing you their training style. And, and that making the, sure you feel comfortable with yeah. it, making sure your dog feels make comfortable sure with comfortable it, everything with the tools, else. Whatever tools they're using. Any. Any person who's ever done a board and train with us, ever, 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 has had Scott holding the leash, working that dog in a setup. Like, that is just that is just common practice. And that also points to, and I want to make this point very closely or very carefully, a lot of these places are guaranteeing things and everything else. And we don't have to go down the rabbit hole of guaranteeing. But Scott and I would never guarantee anything, especially as it relates to aggression, anxiety, anything. And basically, they're animals. So you can't guarantee at the end of the day. 
Also, Scott will not sell certain dogs. It has nothing to do with if the client is compliant or anything else. If that dog is so dangerous that he is honestly thinking through his head, okay, like it'll be in a basket muzzle. We'll have it tethered. When we get to the house, we'll keep it in a muzzle. Um, I can, like if it's to the point where it's going to nail either one of us at this point, it's not our client. And I, I wish the best for that dog. And I hope they find someone who can work with them, but we cannot get injured. So if there are dogs out there that you think like, wow, I don't know if I actually want to be at my house alone at 10 PM and something happened with this dog. Like I don't feel safe. Just do classes with that person. I want to say with regard to aggression issues, I used to take a lot of aggressive dogs Can early you on. This for me again? Um, and my criteria for taking an aggressive dog was, can I handle the dog? <laughs> and that's uh, not a joke. If no, I, I know. It's they'll true. tell me the dog bit three people. I'll say, okay, well, let me see if I can not yeah. be the fourth one. Yeah. And I'll work the dog and the dog is, you know, we're, we're on the same page. The dog is being respectful of my space. I'm able to do something with the dog. I take the dog. And... It, nine out of 10 times, it, it all went smooth. The dog was much better going home. But here's the caveat. Just because the dog can work with me doesn't mean it can work with yeah, Jess. And it doesn't mean it can work with employees. Yeah, yeah. So now that dog, I'm enslaved to handling every aspect of that particular dog because my employees are not comfortable handling it. Jess might have got bit by a dog. And so then I had to raise my criteria again and say, if I can't get Jess specifically to be able to be safe with that dog, it doesn't yeah. come. It doesn't and, come with me anymore. And this is also being said. I mean, Scott was, you know, forty nine, and he could muscle a dog if need be. He was stronger than me. If it was a ninety pound dog, if this dog was going to come after Scott, he could do that. I don't have that ability. I'm one hundred and fifty pounds. I don't have the muscle Scott has. If that dog is like most of my body weight and it's going to do something, I can't be alone with that dog. I'm not safe. So yeah, it, it was all fine and good until Scott hurt his back, and then it's like, okay, well, like I actually can't do what you're doing with this. Dog. So we're very careful that any dog we have, we handle and we deal with. Well, I want to say, even before I hurt myself, the problem with taking those type of dogs is you can't get away from your own business. Yeah. We hired people yeah. so that we could get away from the business. Yeah. If we have to go back just to let a dog out of a yeah. kennel or out of a crate, yeah. we're, we can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that was the, so then we started changing as far as what kind of dogs we would take. Yeah. And, and that hasn't changed our criteria much. Most of the dogs out there do not actually want to hurt and kill someone. But if you do take a dog in like that, it doesn't matter the amount of money. If it damages you, you're screwed and you're out of business and it's not a good experience for that dog and it's not helping instill confidence from that owner. When you have these dogs in your care, they are your animals. Um, they do take priority over your dogs often. And I don't know how else to say that. And it's just, it's the bottom line. That is the case. We have pet dogs on beds with our dogs out. We're taking pet dogs for healing sessions. Maybe instead of taking our dogs on a hike all the time when we want to, like we are prioritizing their dogs. They are our responsibility. It's not, oh, we'll get to them next. They can't potty their crates. If they're in for potty training, they should be having zero reps of pottying with you. Dogs in a board and train, and this is gonna get some of you, they should be crated. I'm sorry. I Dogs in a board and train program should be crated. I see so many kennel setups, 15, 20, 50 kennels. And I am glad that's working from a financial perspective, everything else. I don't feel like it's helping the anxiety perspective. This has nothing to do with a boarding kennel. When I had Kappas on, they have since sold, they were a boarding kennel. They had, you know, big cages like that. The dogs weren't in crates. That's fine. You're just boarding for a certain amount of money per night while you go on a quick vacation. If you're doing a doggy boot camp, <clears throat> that should include conditioning your dog to a crate. We have rough tufts for dogs of all sizes. If they cannot be in 
a very kennel or a wire kennel. We will have people purchase rough tufts. We will buy them rough tufts sometimes. It totally depends, but that's part of the process. With the anxiety these days and the separation anxiety and the destruction and all of these things, I am urging you all, if you're doing boot camps, you should be conditioning a dog to a crate. Yeah, I want to talk about the health and medications. Go for it. And if the dog is sick, uh, it's not unusual for a dog to... Have stress. Have stress. And then, you know, the autoimmune system dips because of stress. And maybe an ear infection could pop up or God knows what else could pop up. There's been many, many dogs just in the past 11 years that Jess has been here where she has stuck a thermometer in a dog's butt to make sure the dog doesn't have a temperature because they're acting kind of listless. Well, they're not. It's not many times they've been acting listless, but they've been acting a little off. Or they have an ear infection. So I see they have an ear infection. Do they have an ear infection and a temperature? Because that's more of an issue. So if anything is happening medical-wise, if you can't just, you know, spray some Betracin on it and it's going to be better the next day, we have their vet as a contact. That is our protocol. So we first tell the owners, hey, this is what's up. There's a little drainage coming out of your dog's eye. Um, We're worried it has an ear infection, something else. Then we go to their vet because it is on record there. They know this dog. I am actually bringing the dog in and handling the dog. So oftentimes the vet's like, oh, well, good. Like, you know, we can all get on the same page more so. But you need to attend to the dog's medical care. If you are sending dogs home with hot spots or they're dirty or they have anything going on with them medically that was intended to, that is not professional. It's irresponsible. Yeah. And uh, we don't always go to their vet. Sometimes we will go to the closest vet. If need be, if it's an emergency. Yeah, yeah. we think it's something serious. We're going to go to the closest vet possible to get attention for this dog. We talk to the owners immediately. I've never had a, a dog owner upset with me when I've called them and said, your dog has an ear infection, your dog has a black tooth that's rotting, and the dog has no. a, a, t- a temperature, and you got to get this dog to a vet, or we're bringing the dog, and they're like, thank you for letting me know. Yeah. Sometimes I say, oh, yeah, our dog gets ear infections all the time. Yeah. Or, and it could be tied he, into the diet. Or they'll diet. say, oh, yeah, it was tying into, the, it, you know, it seemed like maybe he was on the brink of one before we dropped him off, and they didn't say anything. But they are your responsibility. It is more important. Their care is more important than your own care and then your own dog's care. And if you don't have backup and ways to be like, hey, I need you to do this. I need to cancel this appointment because I need to take care of this dog. That is a priority. If you have a dog in for a board and train and they need help, it is your job to help them, not just say, oh, he'll be fine. You know, it's just a client dog. Throw him in a crate. We'll look at him tomorrow. And certainly never hide anything. I no. Mean, and if that sounds normal or like the mature professional thing to do, but, you know, I've read these stories about dogs that have died in a board and train situation and I think that the trainer panicked, so didn't tell the owner, started stalling, you know, and then the owner's like, what's going on? When are you going to send me a picture? And then next thing you know, the police are involved. It's like a big thing. Yeah. And a lot of these programs get a bad rap. And this is yeah. why we want to do this podcast, because honestly, and I'm really not trying to fluff our own feathers, but honestly, the amount of dogs that Scott and I have done over the past 20 years, I don't think there's many people out there still currently working in the industry that have the type of experience we have, especially over the time frame we have. Everyone who's Scott's age, if Scott and I weren't together and All I wasn't... my friends are retired now. <laughs> basically, but I'm just saying like dog trainers, everything else, like it's a cyclical industry because you can only be in it so long and it's harder to be in it now more so than ever. And Scott was talking about um, medications and all this other stuff with health. I just want to touch on that real quick. We have a line in our contract. If there's medications, they have to write out the medications and then initial next to them. It's not just throw all these prescription drugs in when you give me the dog and I just need to figure it out. No, you tell me exactly what's happening, what's been going on, 
We used to, before we left Salisbury, require a health cert. And, you know, it doesn't really matter because even if the dog gets a health cert the first day, if they have stress and they have diarrhea or they break out into an ear infection 10 days in, like... The health cert didn't really matter. So we don't do that anymore, but we need a rabies for every single dog, not just the list of vaccines. And this was my last invoice. And this is when the rabies is due a rabies certificate from the vet. This is something we require from each dog. We need it. Animal control requires that. Yes. And we need it for our own records. We have their own food. We're not a kennel where it's like, hey, we're all set. Like, you know, everybody's on pro plan today and I'm not judging places that do that. Sometimes our <laughs> stop. Sometimes our freezer is filled with more of the client dog's food than our own dog's food. Like these are things that you have to prepare for. If you just have a single freezer, you may not have a lot of frozen stuff for your kids or yourself that week. If the client that you're bringing is on uh, is on raw, but the dog should be on the same diet. You don't want to now be like, oh, well, is it having loose stool because it's stressed or because it's switched food or anything else? So the same food, the rabies cert, we require a list of problem behaviors. Scott saw the dog. I'm not even meeting all these clients right now that where the dogs become boot camp clients. Scott is on the road. He's selling them. I want to see a list of what's going on with your dog and what your dog does wrong. And we address that list throughout the whole time. We're touching on these topics. We're seeing these topics. Sometimes it's not just your basic obedience stuff. You know, sometimes the dog submissively pees. So we're, you know, figuring that out. Okay, well, you don't get too excited with the dog, water intake, all this. We want a list of why they're struggling, why they wanted to put this money forth, and how we can best help and serve that dog. That's just the bottom line. I want to get back to the medication real quick. The last thing I just want to say about medication, I will not take medications (laughs) from a dog owner that isn't in a prescription That's bottle true. that That's says true. exactly what's on it yeah. and how much to give the dog from the vet. That label is yeah. on that thing. I don't want a bag, like a little Ziploc with yeah. some pills, enough pills for the time or whatever. Yeah. I want to know what I'm giving this dog. Yeah. Uh, it's super important because some of these uh, medications are dangerous if they got a, if it's a powder and they got a little too, or a fluid and they got a little too much fluid, they, they can respond in a negative way. So I want to know exactly what the vet yeah. recommended as a dose if we're going to be doing it. And that being said, when it comes to psychiatric medications, uh, behavioral medications, uh, I, we, Jess and I, have, have a, an agreement between us that we won't take a dog that's on Prozac or these other uh, Trazodone, things like that. I would rather get the dog, taper them off the medication before we get the, the dog. With the supervision of their vet. Yeah, they, and they do that on their own. this is a very controversial thing. And that- then... Uh, if they don't want to do that, They're not then our I, I don't need it's to okay. take the dog. Yeah. It's okay because the re- most of the time they don't call us. If the medications were working, they wouldn't call us in the first place. Yeah. So they're having behavioral problems. The dog is already on medication. They're not happy with the medication. The vet's telling them to kick it up. We got to give the dog more medication because that's the natural protocol with these things. They're trying to find a level that gets their dog to an acceptable level of behavior. And we have had many clients go into their vets and say, you know, we haven't seen a change in this. We want to wean the dog off and it's no issue, training or not. But that is our policy. I know it's controversial, but that is our policy. I just want to see the dog, the the unmedicated, like what the hell is this dog like, you know? Yeah. And quite often the dog does fine. I was going to say, getting back to the, um, not to keep backtracking, but with this no guarantee thing, I just did a return the other day. With a nice young dog, a one-year-old dog, just basic obedience. The dog has some good foundation. I was doing classes before the dog came in. This dog worked really well. You know, like healing, sit, down, on a straight verbal, without even physical gestures or hand cues. It just was working really well. When the owner took the leash, dog wouldn't sit. I take the leash back. The dog does everything for me. But the dog decided, well, I don't have to do it for you. 
So we had to work them through it. But if you're going to say, oh, we guarantee the dog does everything, and then the dog goes back to the owner who, for whatever reason, their relationship isn't the same as my relationship with the dog. You can get some, you know, depending on yeah, the dog. They're, they're can, animals. Guarantee yeah, they're like that your 10-year-old or younger yeah. child will do something. You're not, you can't guarantee behavior like this. There's so no now, guarantee. Yeah, so, so you I do the to... best you can. And you tweak things. Like, I want to be really, like, very forward about flexibility. We do returns every different way. When we had our facility, we'd be like, yeah, let's have this dog in a bed. We'll have them walk in. Some dogs, they are in a crate in the back room. They come out. The first thing we do is just stepping on the leash. Some dogs, we do a huge love fest because we know the owner. We know the dog. Some dogs, we go right into healing. Like, it is all over the place. It is not one size fits all. And the amount of behaviors that we do on a return is not... This is all what happened at boot camp. It's either healing and bed or maybe recall and crate or whatever it is. And Scott's adding to the list of behaviors as time goes on, but it's too much information for people to process. They haven't seen their dogs for X amount of time. And they're just trying to like get their head around my dog's home. This is all new to me. It's a lot at once. So break it down so you can set people up for success. Yeah. People can be overwhelmed with, we can just spend, uh, you know, 30 minutes just on healing and, um, Right turns, left turns, and, you know, if the dog wants to now go mark a tree while you're healing, and there's so many different things that you could spend a lot of time working on just heal. Yeah. So the last thing I want to do is show them heal, sit down, go to a bed, go to the crate, do this, Common do that. called, yeah. Yeah, okay, see you later. Good yeah. luck. And you don't, want, you don't want less than optimal results for these people, right? And the most important thing on a return is the dog's state of mind. Is the dog calm? Is the dog working well? If the dog isn't working well for the owner, that is okay. Take the leash back and get the dog working well for you. Build the owner up. Give the owner confidence. Half the time, they're very overwhelmed. Like, this is a lot. It's going well for you. I can't do this. It's harder for me. Give them confidence. Infuse them with confidence. When our board and train clients go home, they get all three of our online classes. They get an ebook that goes with how to calm your canine. They get a link to our free class. They get a troubleshooting page for doggy boot camp. And I say, text us. You text us if there's questions. Don't wait till your next class. Follow up and text us. We want to make sure things are going okay because whatever effort we have put in, yes, it's on the owners when the dog goes home, but the smoother the transition goes, the more the dog will be set up for success and the more the owners will be set up for success. And this is a huge responsibility. I need to let people know. Scott starts saying like, by saying that this is a good way to make money in the dog training world and everything else. And it is, there is good money in board and trains. I have often woken up on Christmas morning before we have to drive an hour and an hour and 15 minutes South to have Christmas without Scott's family. I, I let 30 dogs out. I have 30 dogs on Christmas and that is not the case anymore. We don't have a maid kennel. We're just, you know, at our home, we're only taking a couple dogs at a time. We've changed our model for our own lifestyle, but that is my life. Well, why is that your life? Because people want to do board and trains over Christmas. They want to go away for the holidays and get their dog trained at the same time. Our previous clients want to utilize us. Most of our previous clients will not board their dogs with anyone but us. And I'm not trying to sound exclusive and like high on my horse, but that's just the case. Like if we couldn't watch their dog, they wouldn't go out of town and leave their dog. So that is the reality of this. And you just have to realize that and take that for what it is. And rather than be like, oh my God, this sucks. I had a very good friend one time when I was having a hard time in uh, Salisbury say, be grateful that you can work and be grateful for the work. And it is so true. And we are always grateful for our client dogs, for our clients, even the most difficult client dogs we're grateful for because we've learned a lesson or we know like, oh, next Wheaton, we've had like 
10 anxious, aggressive Wheatons. Next Wheaton, we're going to approach differently. We're always learning. We're always tweaking. And we're always communicating, what do we want? Do we want this dog? Do we want this dog at our home? Should we just offer classes? Do we want to extend? We're, we're very flexible in that sense because if we weren't flexible and it was just a one-size-fits-all, the model would not work as well, I don't think. Yeah, and this is a business uh, that technology will never... <laughs> take over like we will as long as people own dogs there will be a need for dog training and boarding and training yeah. will always be something that you can make a living doing but it is a big sacrifice of your own personal time and it's a big commitment it's a high burnout uh business if you give too much and you don't make time for your own personal time on the way here i just blocked out sunday and wrote in there that not taking any doing any classes jess and i want to go for a hike but I have the, I make the mistake of quite often making myself available too much with a lot of activity. And I, some people can only see me on the weekend or because of where they live. I don't want to drive there on a week, on a weekday night because of traffic. So I'll go on a Sunday morning. And Next thing I know, I'm working every single day. And that's the same thing too. If we have our, your own facility, like for people out there that have their own facility, we were doing this too. Like when we were in Lowell, we're doing classes there all day long, maybe training our own dogs. We're doing night classes. Like we lived in Salisbury. Like that's the case too. You can overwork anywhere, but make sure that you're adjusting your lives to what works for you. And like, honestly, love your clients, feel a good relationship with who you're working with, whether it be you're selling to them or you're buying from them. If you don't have a good vibe, like, don't do it. Don't force something and don't force tools on your clients. You guys, I cannot stress this enough. Scott with his classes, some dogs just wear rough wear martingale collars. Some dogs wear star mark plastic pinches. Some dogs wear metal plastic pinches. Some people want to do e-collar training for classes. If you do a board and train with us, you're going to have an e-collar on your dog when it goes home and we're going to teach you how to use that. If you're not comfortable with that, that's okay. But we don't just spin, throw that on you on the return. Like, oh, and this is what we do. And this is the tool we use. No, like we're going to, you're going to be using an actual 200C dog draw on your dog while the dog is with us for boot camp. That has worked best for us over time, keeps them quiet in the crates and helps with their bed command, especially if there's anxiety. And people know that that's okay with them. If it's not okay with them, they're not a client, but we're not forcing anything on anyone. Scott's, he's never going to have someone do something that feels uncomfortable to them. It's their choice. It's their dog. It's their life. Well, I have had people do stuff that's uncomfortable. That's the thing about over time, how you learn, where I, uh, on the front end, I'm telling them all these things. And some of these dogs, the people feel like this is a necessary evil. I have to do it. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. I don't even take those dogs yeah. anymore because I know they're not going to be compliant yeah. on the other we end. Want, we want people excited, <clears throat> happy, feeling good. We want the dogs wagging their tails, ears up, eating food. Like We want best case scenario. And we can't promise best case scenario with every dog because we don't know what every dog is going to look like. But the anxiety is rampant. The aggression is serious. There are some legitimate behavioral issues that are going on out there. Self-mutilation. And if you are not familiar with these types of things, you are going to run into this. So this is why we wanted to formulate this podcast, because we literally sat back and we're like, wow, we have been doing this for quite a long time. And if you're thinking about a board and train program, are you off a board and train programs or anything else? 
feel free to shoot me an email, studio at thecorkydog.com. And if it's a simple question, I'll try to shoot you an email back and help you the way I can because it isn't easy out there. And all we want to see is dogs be able to remain in their homes, people be able to keep the dogs that they intended to keep, and trainers to actually help. I don't care what methodologies you use or anything else, but we want to see results so people feel proud taking their dog to the pet store, bringing their dog out in public to the parade. Maybe if there's a lot of sirens, not the parade. But we want people to enjoy their dogs, not just tolerate living with them. Do you feel the same way? I do. You know, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about the aggression stuff and we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but there are some dogs that they're really, they do have some real aggression, but I never take a person's word for it over the phone. I have to go out and work the dog because most dogs, they're not aggressive. (laughs) That's true. They they have displays of aggression. They act kind of like... They bite somebody on the back of the pants, leaving. Maybe, or they they don't really... They say they have bad dog aggression, but when they get all into it with another dog, no one is bleeding. There's just a lot of spit on everything, and it's just a lot of... Or they have really bad leash reactivity, and they're good off leash. Yeah, that's true. And And that's why Scott has to see the dog. Like, we... Because someone's interpretation of what's going on, they're not the professional, right? We don't have this 14-page inventory that people have to fill out and explain to us everything else. I want to know if they use a crate. I want to know if the dog's on a structured feeding schedule. Like some basic stuff like that. Do they have a yard? Outside of that, it's on us to help this dog. That's why we were paid. We're the professionals. And I was going to say, the dogs that do have some real serious aggression issues, it doesn't matter if I can handle the dog. Because if they are scared to death and traumatized yes. because of past experiences, and we're if, not they, help. if they need to handle this dog in a very specific way, you know, have very specific protocols, they may do it for six months, maybe, and then it maybe might break three down. months. Yeah. But you can't, most people can't do that yeah. for the life of that dog. No, that true. dog could be there for seven to 10 it's more true. years. If, that, if you own a dog that needs to be crated when anyone else is in your home or anytime you answer the door for the UPS driver or something else, it's too much vigilance for people to uphold at this point. And we know this. Uh, we love our pet dog clients and everything else. But Scott will be honest. Even if we could use the money, we have a bill to pay off or something else, Scott will say, you know, I just don't think it's the right setup. We can do some classes and we can see if you feel better handling the dog. But I don't think we're going to fix the issue that you have. Or even if I tell them about this, you know, based on my past experience on the front end. And if they still say, I understand what you're saying. I still, for for the sake of trying to help this dog, I want to progress. Then sometimes I'll take the dog. If I, if I don't think it's going to be a, a, like a, a danger to a child or something like that, I'll say, all right, you know, you know exactly what you're in for here. I'll help you with this dog. Yeah. But quite often, you know, I'll get a call, not quite often, but occasionally based on the amount of dogs that we deal with, it's a very small percentage, but Two years later, I'll get a call saying, no, we had to put the dog down. Yeah, they, or they we, did or this, we have did to place that. the dog. Do you, yeah. can or you they, guys help? They want to give yeah. us the dog yeah. because we're the only people that actually handled the dog yeah. well. And did you take this dog? I'm and like, we just, we want to set everyone up for long-term success. That's the bottom line. So I, this is a, the board and train programs get a really bad rap. Some people could find huge benefit from them. Removing the dog from the owner and from the energy of their home, and maybe if they've had potty training issues, allowing the owner to clean the floors, to clean the carpets, to really get in deep with the hardwood with vinegar and get that urine smell out. Sometimes a board and train program is a good reset and something that will help more than ever before. And frankly, most of the time that Scott goes to an eval and a lot of our board and train clients, they've been doing private classes with other people. They've been doing classes at the MSPCA for 
eight months or a year or two years or something else. They've been to Petco. They've done, they've tried. It's not like their first effort was like, oh yeah, let me drop a few grand and, you know, send my dog away. No, but they they want to do what's best for their dog. So be mindful of things, be flexible of things, and just be thoughtful that like, each scenario is different. Scott and I, even up here, we've been grappling with, well, this one situation, well, this other situation. It is a case-by-case basis because it is our lives and it is also these dogs' lives. It is the, We have so much responsibility with how many lives that we care for, hence my Compassion Fatigue podcast last week alone. So please make sure you're caring for them to the best of your ability. Do you have anything else to say? I would just say the more people that are involved in the dog training business that you visit, uh, probably the less personal attention your dog is going to get. You know, we have, a, it's really, it's just Jess and I that are running this business. Yeah, we if don't I'm have not some working team with the dog, Jess is working with the dog. But if there's six or eight employees there um, and everyone, maybe everyone is touching that dog at different times. Or at least, no, at least, you know, five of those employees. If you have a good vibe, again, that's the thing. But know what you're getting yourself into. Don't just have someone sell you and then that person isn't even touching the dog. Be mindful of what you're committing to because it's a big commitment financially, emotionally, and everything else. And hopefully it helps your dog. I want to remind people super quick that if you have not seen our EM Collar episode, I believe it was the first Wednesday of August, it was two weeks ago, um, Quirky10 is a discount code. You can get any of her collars. They're awesome collars, holistic tick prevention, Quirky10 through the month of August with a 10% off. Go back to that episode, watch that um, episode if you want, but her website and the link is included in there in case you missed it. She has a lot of fun and cool colors. And in the meantime, we're going to be back next week live. Then we're going to do Noelle's follow-up episode. We're releasing, uh, we're doing some big announcements of people releasing some awesome programs throughout the country. We're very, very excited. We have a lot to offer, and we hope that we helped you today with our boot camp podcast. Yeah, I would say just open communication is the biggest thing. (laughs) Keep it quirky, guys. See you next week. Communicate openly. Doggy boot camp. Bye. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.